You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining me. It's uh, been quite a day so far. It's been quite a week, and things are just getting worse by the minute. Welcome to World War III. And I'm not being facetious. It has started. It's not a nuclear war at this point, although it could become one down the road particularly after the Iranians build their nuclear weapons, which Obama and the Democrats in Congress have decided is okay with them. And, you know, we're about to release $1.5 billion to the Iranians to allow them to continue arming terrorists. And uh, so they're going to continue with Hamas and Hezbollah and continue arming terrorists. But in the meantime, we have a situation in Syria. Let's look at the scenario here. We have been fighting ISIS in Syria for quite a while now, supposedly. I say supposedly fighting ISIS in Syria and Iraq because it's been a half-hearted effort, to say the least, by the President of the United States. We have coalition partners who are doing a lot more than we're doing. In order to effectively go after ISIS, we have to be flying about 240 sorties a day with our aircraft. On some days, we have flown... as few as two. Our average is about 24. Many of those sorties are being flown against empty pickup trucks that are parked, against empty buildings at night. Our pilots, over half of the time, are returning to the base without ever firing a shot or dropping a bomb. That's because in order to get permission to attack a target, they have to go through the White House. Now, this same philosophy was employed in Afghanistan on ground troops, and on one occasion, at least, got an entire squad of Marines wiped out because they couldn't call in airstrikes or artillery, and they were surrounded by 200 Taliban in the mountains. And the White House philosophy was, well, you have to prove to us, those of you on the ground that are being shot at and have your heads pinned down, you have to prove to us that none of those 200 people surrounding you are not armed. They all have to be armed, you don't get support. So eight American Marines died. Much the same philosophy is being used right now in the campaign against ISIS. Obama doesn't want to hurt anybody, particularly anybody in ISIS. So our planes are being sent out. They find a target of opportunity. They want to go after that target of opportunity, and they're told they can't do it because they can't say, well, there's no civilians in the area. They can't say, we're absolutely sure those are ISIS fighters. Even if they say they're absolutely sure, for some odd reason, the White House, the chain of command, will not approve the strikes. So we have the Russians now moving into Syria. Now, the Russians are supposedly moving in to help fight ISIS because ISIS is a threat to Assad, and Russians are allied with a Syrian dictator. Now, this guy should have been gone long ago, but Obama, you know, drew a line in the sand. If you use chemical weapons, we're going to come in and take you out, and we didn't. They used chemical weapons. We didn't do a thing. Well, the Russians came in and said, well, we'll take the chemical weapons out of their country. We don't know they did that. 
that the Russians basically can say whatever they want, and Obama really doesn't challenge them. So now we have the Russians moving into Syria to prop up the Assad regime. We have the Russians becoming allies with the Iranians, who are also allied with the Assad regime. But most remarkably, we have the Russians becoming allied with the Iraqi government. So you have Iraq, Iran, and Russia are allies now. Now, where is the United States in all this? Well, we basically have been left out in the cold. The Iraqis don't trust us. Nobody in the world trusts us. Nobody in the world believes anything Obama says anymore. It's strictly a matter of Obama will tell us one thing and do something else or do nothing at all. He's put the whole world at risk. So a couple of weeks ago, the Russians start flying in fighters and bringing in armament and other equipment to assist in rescuing a thug. And supposedly fight ISIS. And Obama makes a big to-do about meeting with the Russian premier, uh, Vladimir Putin, for a 90-minute meeting. And they have this meeting, and Obama comes out and says, oh, well, everything's cool. Uh, Russia is going to be in there to help us in our fight against ISIS. This was just a couple of days ago. This morning, a three-star Russian general walks into the United States Embassy in Baghdad and hands a note to a staff member and then has a meeting with the members of the people in the embassy. And basically this note and what he says is that we are going to launch airstrikes beginning today. Well, see, we were told that all this was going to be coordinated. Obama said, and John Kerry said, oh, we're going to meet... Uh, with the Russian counterparts, and we're going to coordinate all this so there's no possibility of a conflict, conflict, inadvertent conflict between Russian Air Force and the U.S. Air Force or any other coalition members. And the Russians make this announcement that in one hour we are going to start launching airstrikes in Syria. And they basically told the United States, stay out of our way. But they said, please. Wasn't that impressive? Please stay out of our way. John Kerry comes out and says, we're not going to take this line down. We're not going to stop our airstrikes. So how many airstrikes did the United States launch in Syria today after receiving that note? One. One airstrike. Far away from where the Russians are operating. Where were the Russian airstrikes launched? Not against ISIS. Not in the territory held by ISIS. It was launched against the Syrians who were fighting Assad. Civilians were killed. At least 36 been reported. One of the leaders of the moderate, if there is such a thing as moderate, Syrian, Syrian opposition, which we support, was also killed. So, airstrikes are being launched by the Russians against U.S. allies in Syria. Are they going to next move into Iraq and start launching airstrikes there against the Kurds? 
They're not fighting ISIS at this point. And what are we doing about it? Obama has rolled over. Kerry has rolled over. The Secretary of Defense calls a press conference earlier today to talk about what's happening in Syria with the Russians. But that's not what he talks about. He starts diverting the questions to talk about women's role in the military and about the budget, military budget. Basically dodges most questions about what's happening in Syria, but does come out and say, well, I trust the Russians. We're going to have these high-level meetings sometime down the road, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and we will get together and we will coordinate all of this. Ladies and gentlemen, that is bull. We didn't threaten the Russians. We didn't castigate the Russians for what they're doing. We're ignoring entirely what they're doing. They're rubbing it in our face. That was a slap in the face to, to Obama and to our administration. The Russians have basically put us on notice that we are now going to take over the Middle East. They've already got Iran on their side. They have Iraq on their side. They've got Syria on their side. What's going to be next? And think about this, too. And this is something important. The Russians have been running operations in the Ukraine now for several years. They took the Crimea, and we did nothing. They've been undermining the Ukrainian government. They have special forces operating in Ukraine. They're launching missiles into Ukraine. We have done nothing except Obama said, we're going to support our Ukrainian allies, we're going to supply you with military equipment, which for the most part we have not done. We're going to supply you with advisors. We've just sent in a handful. We basically are going to Ukraine. So what's Obama going to do? Well, now that he's got us focused on Syria, and he completely understands that Obama is in full retreat, that the United States is in full retreat, that we are not going to do anything to stop Putin. While he's got all the attention focused on Syria, he's going to make a move on the Ukraine, possibly a full-scale invasion, and Obama will do nothing. I mean, he said at the United Nations that we wouldn't tolerate that but he said we wouldn't toler tolerate Assad using chemical weapons against his own people. We don't have a foreign policy. We've got a policy of surrender. We also need to watch out for Putin moving on the Baltic states, specifically Latvia, Estonia, Those are two states that are NATO allies, and they are vulnerable. They are vulnerable because Obama has made them vulnerable. Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, 
these are all part of the former Soviet empire. And that's what Putin wants to reestablish, is the Soviet empire. And he's going to do whatever's necessary to get that done. And he has wanted to find out if we would oppose him or if NATO would oppose him. And obviously, he's found out that it will not happen. NATO will do nothing unless the United States is heavily engaged in supporting what they do. We already have the Germans and even the British and French somewhat kowtowing to Putin, saying, well, maybe we can work out a political solution with Assad after all. Something that they can vow never to do. This is an extremely dangerous situation. And we'll talk more about it after the break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So make no mistake about it, ladies and gentlemen, we are in full retreat at this point. And it's not just in Syria, Afghanistan. Obama sets a deadline for pulling out U.S. troops. He announces that we've got 10,000 troops in there this year, the end of the year, but announces to our enemies. He tells the Taliban. He tells the Russians. He tells ISIS. Those troops are not going to be used in combat. They're just going to be there to provide logistical support to the Afghans. You don't telegraph to the enemy what you're doing. So what's happened? One of the largest cities in Afghanistan, one of the most prosperous cities in the northern part of the country, has fallen to the Taliban. This was supposed to be the most stable area of the country. The Taliban took it over. We suspect that al-Qaeda and ISIS soldiers were involved also. The Afghan army 
has been fighting to hold on to a nearby airport. And finally, American special forces have been committed. But Obama says they're not going to be in combat. They're just going to be advisors. Well, they're out there getting shot at. So they're in combat. Now, what are their rules of engagement? Probably the same rules that were designed to get American forces killed before. These idiotic rules of engagement designed by Obama. Are they going to be able to hold the line? We don't know. But Obama's still planning to pull the rest of the American forces out of Afghanistan. He pulled them out of Iraq too soon. That's why ISIS filled the vacuum. That's why al-Qaeda is growing stronger and now working with ISIS. All this appears to have been carefully orchestrated to bring America down, to have us defeated around the world. It's not only in the battlefronts that he's caving in and giving in. Take Cuba. While the UN meeting was going on, he meets with Raul Castro. Raul Castro is demanding that we close the prison at Guantanamo, which Obama is about to do unilaterally. He's pretty much released all the prisoners, sent them back to fight against Americans around the world. Very quietly, a couple of weeks ago, he uh, went ahead and released one of Osama bin Laden's top people. He's not supposed to do any of this without congressional approval. He never got congressional approval. He never asked for congressional approval. What did our Congress do? Nothing. Our Congress is getting very, very good at doing nothing. But he's going to close Guantanamo Bay, and he's going to give the base to the Cubans. Now, we've had that base for years. We have a long-term lease with the Cuban government which they tried to break them as minute Fidel Castro came in. They actually attacked Guantanamo Bay at one point with Cuban soldiers, and they were repulsed repeatedly with heavy casualties. He's going to give that base to the Cubans. Who is the primary ally in the world of the Cubans? The Russians. John F. Kennedy had to stand up to the Russians and risk World War III to get the Russians to withdraw the missiles from Cuba because they were moving in. Intercontinental ballistic missiles and short-range missiles, they could easily reach anywhere in the United States because Cuba's only 90 miles away from Florida. What's going to stop the Russians from moving missiles into Cuba, particularly once they have a base where they can do it? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Obama may bluster. He may say things, you know, like, you can't do this. We're drawing a line in the sand. This is a red line you cannot cross, and then they cross it, and Obama does nothing. The consequences to the United States for what Obama's doing around the world are just absolutely horrendous. 
the consequences, the consequences of the rest of the world are absolutely horrendous. You think the flood of refugees from the Middle East is bad now. Now that Syrians are being bombed by the Russians and Syrian civilians are going to be killed by the Russians and we're going to do nothing about it, the flow of refugees from the Middle East is going to increase. Now that the Taliban and Al-Qaeda are making gains in Afghanistan, the flow of refugees from that country is going to increase. Now that Iraq has a large part of its population or its territory under the control of ISIS, the flow of refugees from there is just going to increase. The Iranians are in control of Yemen. People are trying to escape from Yemen. Chaos reigns in places like Somalia, Mozambique. More refugees. Some of the countries in Europe can't take any more refugees, shouldn't take any more refugees. Now we're going to be bringing these people into the United States. Let me tell you about the refugees and who they are. And I've got this from several sources. One of the, a friend of mine recently sent me a, an email that she got from a friend in Budapest in Hungary <clears throat> talking about the way the beautiful city of Budapest has now been reduced to a virtual lockdown prison camp. The refugees have flooded Budapest. They're living under bridges. They're taking over whole neighborhoods. People are afraid to go out of their own homes. They're accosted by refugees demanding money, robbing them, demanding that women who are improperly dressed according to them be covered up or beaten. Christian churches are being targeted. In some cases, in some areas, not necessarily in Budapest, they're being burned down. In Germany today, a police official said that they call for the separation of the Christian refugees from the Muslim refugees because the Muslim refugees are basically beating the Christian refugees, attacking them on a daily basis. And there are many fewer of those than there are Muslim refugees. Muslim refugees are demanding food, but if somebody from like the Red Cross comes to give them food, they will take it and stomp on it, throw it back at the the Red Cross workers, attack the Red Cross workers. Why? Because of the word cross. They find that offensive. These are genuine people trying to help them, and they find the name of their organization offensive. I don't care. If the Red Cross doesn't give anything to any Muslim refugees anymore. I'm sorry to sound so callous. I know everybody's saying, well, what about the women and children? Well, here's the, the fact that's coming emerging here. Ninety percent, at least, of these refugees are not women and children. They're men between the ages of 18 and 45 years old. People perfectly capable of working. But they're coming into these European countries and they're demanding that they not be forced to work. They're demanding that they be given free food and free clothing 
and free housing and free medical care, and they're getting it. Exactly the same thing we're doing with these so-called refugees coming across our southern border. Now, 90% of these people are men, and there was an interview with a, a woman who was on a train with a bunch of these refugees in Europe recently, and she spoke Arabic, so she understood what they were saying. They were talking about raping her because she was improperly dressed. They were talking about stealing from the five Europeans who were in the same train car. She watched the people getting on those cars by grabbing children away from their mothers. And these were not the fathers who were doing this. These were absolute strangers grabbing these children and using them as shields so they could get on the train and then discarding the children when they got where they wanted to go. They controlled the train station. They were trying to keep Europeans from get, getting to the trains. They were threatening people. They were defecating in the middle of this train station, right on the floor. They trashed the place, just like they trashed Budapest. And they're trashing other cities in Europe. These are the people that Obama wants to bring into this country. Specifically the Muslims. I mean, we have refugees in this country right now from Iraq, Christian refugees, and he's about to deport them back to areas of Iraq where they will probably be killed. He didn't want any Christians. We started out saying we were going to take 10,000 refugees from Syria, and then that went to 70,000, and then it went to 100,000. None of these people are going to be vetted. None of these people are going to, no effort's going to be made to determine if they're members of ISIS, which, by the way, ISIS is bragging about how many of these refugees are actually their members and are going to be leading uprisings in Europe. Obama doesn't care. He looks at these as potential Democratic voters. Bring them in. Put them on the fast, fast, fast track to citizenship. Register them to vote. Try to enlist them in the U.S. military. But don't make them take the oath of office that I took or David took or anybody else in the military took to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Legal immigrants that are in this country right now are being exempt from taking the oath pledging to defend this country. Because Obama's decided that's politically incorrect. And they don't need, they may have objections to it, religious objections. In other words, they're Muslims, and they do not take an oath to defend any country. Their only oath is to Allah, to their so-called peaceful religion. So they're being exempt from taking the oath. 10,000 legal immigrants a month are being fast-tracked to naturalization. Many of them are not even required, I understand, to take the test to find out if they even know what the U.S. Constitution is or know any of our history. Why are they being fast-tracked? Because they want to register them to vote so they can have an influence on the 2016 election. Now, brace yourselves for even more people coming in that have no loyalty to this country. 
and we'll talk more after this break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, think about this, too. The planes that we are using in the Middle East to attack ISIS are attack aircraft. And they're designed to launch operations against enemy on the ground. They're not equipped or designed specifically to fight air-to-air because ISIS doesn't have any airplanes. Basically, Assad, Syria, doesn't have any airplanes. The Al-Qaeda enemy doesn't have any airplanes. So we don't have to worry about that, or we didn't until now. The Russian aircraft that have been flown into Syria, at least half of them are specifically equipped and designed to engage in air-to-air combat with other aircraft. So what other aircraft are we talking about? We're talking about our aircraft. We're talking about the coalition partners' aircraft. We're talking about the French aircraft. How long is it going to be? Because now the Russians have issued a warning to us, stay out of our way. Clear our air, the airspace we're operating in. Anything that we don't specifically allow you to do. And Obama's and Kerry said, oh, we're not going to comply with that. Well, that remains to be seen. But suppose we don't comply with it. Suppose we continue to launch the limited number of airstrikes that Obama has in mind. How long is it going to be before a Russian plane shoots down one of our drones? Or even worse, opens fire and possibly shoots down one of our jets. Like I said, our jets are not going to be equipped to fight air-to-air combat unless we go ahead and equip them that way now. In order to effectively attack ISIS on the ground, we're going to have to basically send two aircraft at least in the air at the same time. One equipped with the bombs and ordnance 
to attack ISIS on the ground and the other equipped to fight off Russian aircraft. An American drone or an American aircraft is shot down by the Russians. What will Obama do? I don't think he'll do anything. I think the Russians are going to get free reign here. But if he does do something, if we do go after the Russians, then we're getting ourselves involved in another Middle Eastern war against an opponent that's far stronger than anything we faced before. And we would have a shooting World War III on our hands. Would nuclear weapons be used? Who knows what Putin will do? This man wants to establish the Soviet Empire of old. He wants to take control of countries. He wants to take control of the Middle East and parts of Europe, possibly all of Europe. The guy is very smart. I think he's a bit crazy, but he's very smart crazy. He knows that he's dealing with an utter weakling when he deals with Obama. And the rest of the world knows the same thing. The Russians aren't going to ally themselves with us. The Russians are collecting allies of their own. They're leaving us with virtually no effective allies in the Middle East. We are the most vulnerable right now that we've ever been. And Obama wants to continue making us even more vulnerable. He continues to cut the military. Congress is doing basically nothing to stop that. He continues to use our military as a base for social experimentation. Again, I point to Ash Carter. I mean, here we are in a crisis mode, a major world crisis involving the Russians, involving Syria. And Ash Carter wants to talk about women in the military and increasing their roles. Two women out of several hundred, I think, attempted it, managed to pass through Ranger School. So now they're going to be in, rain, in the Rangers. That didn't necessarily mean they'll be deployed to a Ranger unit. But now Obama wants, and Ash Carter wants the Navy SEALs to open up to women, wants the Army Special Forces, Green Berets, open up to women, Marine Recon. Only one, you know, Obama's appointed a bunch of people and raised a bunch of people in the military and command that are robots for him. They really are not looking out for the people on their command. <clears throat> They're looking out for their own advancement. The commander of the Marine Corps is a different breed. The commander of the Marine Corps has raised objections to women being in combat roles at all. And he bases these objections on the fact that they had done very careful studies of the effectiveness in combat of units that were made up entirely of men and units that were made up of both men and women. And in all areas, the combat effectiveness 
of units made up entirely of men far outweighed the combat effectiveness of units that were mixed. Why was this? Well, the fact of the matter is that all the feminists in the world, all the PC people in the world, can't change the fact that, for the most part, men are stronger than women. It was found in the Marine Corps test that women could not move as fast as their male counterparts. They could not carry as much of a load as their male counterparts. So that meant that, for example, take a Marine recon unit. They send a a squad on a long-range patrol. The squad is made up of both men and women. Now, the squad was made up entirely of men. They could all carry an equal amount of ammunition and equipment and rations on their backs. The Marines found that women could not carry as much as the load as the men could without tiring out quickly and slowing down the pace of the unit. That makes the unit vulnerable. So the obvious answer to them sitting slowed down is to decrease the amount of ammunition, decrease the amount of rations that women would have to carry, which means that the whole unit is now vulnerable because they don't have all the equipment they need, they don't have all the ammunition they need, they don't have all the rations they need to survive a long-range reconnaissance or combat patrol. That's a fact of life, period, in the subject. That's a fact of life. Yet that's what Ash Carter wants to rail against today in his press conference. Don't talk about Syria. Don't talk about Russian aggression. Don't talk about threats to the United States. Don't talk about anything that's important to the American people. Talk about what you think the American people ought to be interested in. Increasing the role of women in combat units. Give me a break. I'm getting fed up with the political correctness nonsense. I'm getting fed up with being told what to believe and what not to believe. I'm generally... And I think you can tell this from my tone when I'm fed up with the Obama administration. And it's just getting worse. And matter of fact, I'm working on an article that will be posted the next day or two. And, you know, I, I'm beginning to hate it when I'm right. But unfortunately, back in, let's see, I think it was January of last year, I wrote an article entitled, Psychiatry is a weapon of warfare. And I posted that on my blog, and it was read by many people. Actually, that was in in June of last year. And uh, psychiatry is a weapon of warfare, June 2013, as a matter of fact. And I wrote another article in February prior to that called Disarming Americans Heroes. And the article in 
psychiatry as a weapon of tyranny was a follow-up to that article. And for those of you who've been following me, I've been working on these veteran situations for a long time. and working very hard. I did a radio show last Sunday out in California. The people were aghast. The people on the show had not heard about any of this. They did not know what was going on, what was happening to our veterans. But I pointed out that mental illness and psychiatry had been used by the Nazis in World War II, prior to World War II, had been used by the Soviet leaders as a way to crush dissent and also a way to disarm people. In the case of Nazi Germany, after Adolf Hitler was elected chancellor, and you've heard me talk about this before, one well, of the first things he did, and one of the first things all successful dictators have to do, is disarm the population that they're going to be in control of. Hitler did that by beginning to disarm the veterans. These were veterans of World War I. They had taken over of office, some of what I took, to the American military and to my country and my constitution. So they were a danger to Adolf Hitler. One of the ways they used to disarm these veterans was to have them declared mentally ill and therefore too dangerous to be allowed to have a weapon. And then they advanced this into the way to pick up anybody off the street, anybody who dissented, anybody who opposed Hitler's regime. The same thing happened to the Soviet Union. If you oppose the communist regime, for a long time, you just disappeared. But now, you disappeared under the guise of being mentally ill. You were picked up. You may not even be examined by a psychiatrist, but you were picked up, and you were declared mentally ill and put in a gulag or a Nazi prison camp. Now we have the veterans in this country being declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs by the VA with no due process at all. And the FBI automatically translating that is to being mentally defective to the point of being a danger to yourself or others and putting you on the mix list, which means you cannot legally purchase firearms in this country. I wrote back in that article <laughs> and in subsequent articles that the federal government was planning to expand this program and to expand the definitions of mental illness. And I'll explain more about that after this break. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. With all the back and forth in today's politics, 
it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. So this new article I'm working on is uh, going to deal with new developments. Because if you want to read my articles, by the way, and there have been a number of them on this issue, plus other constitutional issues, you can go to Michael Connolly, that's C-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y dot zig, Z-J-I-G-S-Y dot com. And you can see my blog. You can access information about my background, about my resume. You can look at the books that I've written, including a bestseller about my father's unit during World War I, World War II called The Mortarman, and my patriotic novel called Amelia's Story of America. And by the way, I'm working on a new novel right now, uh, which I hope to finish by the end of the year. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time to work on a novel because of all the other articles I'm writing. The speeches I'm making. And by the way, if you want me to make a speech to your group on the Second Amendment issues facing veterans or anything else, uh, contact David, uh, and he will help arrange for it. If you want me to be on interviewed on your radio show or a radio show of somebody that you know about, uh, email me at michael at usjfmail.net. That's michael at usjfmail.net. If you're a veteran and are being affected by the gun control issues, or if you're a Social Security recipient, email me at michael at usjfmail.net because we are representing veterans and their families for free. We're representing everybody for free. Uh, we raise our money independently. So you can donate to us by going to usjf.net. You can also keep up there with the articles I'm writing on my blog and also the briefs that we're filing in courts around the country defending not only Second Amendment rights, but defending Fourth Amendment, Fifth Amendment, First Amendment rights, and trying to stop our runaway government that's out of control. So take a look at the website. Again, it's michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. And read some of these articles. And like I said, the latest one I'm going to post shows that the predictions I made about the expanding use of psychiatry as a weapon of tyranny, expanding the definitions of mental illness to go after gun owners is coming true. 
Now, we already uncovered the fact, and I pointed this out in my articles, I've talked about it on this show and many other shows, that veterans are being declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs on the basis of having minor PTSD, which is not even categorized as a mental illness, or it wasn't in the past, because they had ever been depressed or even told the doctor they were depressed, even if they were never treated for depression, if they had ever taken certain drugs, such as AD, for the ADD or ADHD, if they let their spouses pay the family bills, they're being declared incompetent to handle their own financial affairs. And I've seen this in writing. I've also seen in writing, because we're representing a couple of veterans in this situation, where they have been declared incompetent because they had their bills automatically paid every month out of their bank account. That's not a definition of mental illness. But now, we have the American Psychiatric Association coming out with their new Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. And this was adopted by a group that has basically come out and said that all psychiatrists should ask any patient of theirs if they own a firearm. And by the way, you're all, if you're going on Medicare for the first time, seeing a doctor for the first time, you will in all likelihood be asked if you own a firearm. We have a school here in Texas that gave a questionnaire to the children in the school wanting to know if their parents own firearms and wanting to know what these firearms were used for. Were they self-defense? Were they hunting? For hunting? And then they were asked, what political affiliation do your parents have? And it was from 1 to 10, very liberal to very conservative. What business of that is the schools? What business of that is our doctors? But the American Psychiatry Association has come up with this new manual that does exactly what I predicted over a year ago, almost two years ago, that they would be expanding the definition of mental illness. They have now said that if you are grieving for the loss of a loved one, and this doesn't apply to just people in the military, if you've lost a loved one through an accident or through cancer, if you're grieving for that loss, then you are mentally defective. I would say you're mentally healthy. If you don't grieve, you're probably mentally defective. But no, you're mentally defective. And that's the criteria that the federal government is using against veterans and using against Social Security recipients now to declare us incompetent to handle our own financial affairs and to tell us that we cannot own firearms and to put us on the next list. Because it took a lawsuit by the United States Justice Foundation to do it, but we managed to get copies of the next list. Well, our copies of the list and copies of the criteria for going on the next list. A, pri- a private memorandum between the VA and the FBI, where basically the FBI said that we're not going to anymore follow the requirements that in order to be on the next list as mental def- defective, you have to be adjudicated. We will accept all names sent to us by the VA, and we will classify these people because you said they're incompetent. We will classify them as being mentally defective to the point of being in danger of themselves or others and put them on the next list. And by the way, there's just been something brought to my attention that I did not know because I haven't purchased a firearm in 
quite a few years, if you go to purchase a firearm, you're now being asked not just are you have you ever been adjudicated to be mentally defective, but have you ever been held incompetent, been found to be incompetent to handle your own financial affairs? That's not what the law says. The law allows the FBI to put you on that list as mentally defective only if you have been adjudicated to be a danger, mentally defective to being a danger to yourself or others. Now, Eric Holder, on the orders of Obama, changed that when he became Attorney General and decided that anybody that worked for the federal government, even as a private contractor, can adjudicate you to be mentally ill and be incompetent. So that's one of the new definitions of mental illness. Grieving over the loss of a loved one. Now, in addition to that, they've also put in a criteria where you can be declared mentally ill if you use the Internet excessively. Well, guess what, folks? They're coming to take me away. Uh, I'm on the Internet on the average of at least five or six hours a day. I'm responding to emails concerning the United States Justice Foundation. I'm responding to emails about articles that I've written. I'm responding to emails about speeches. I'm just researching because I keep up primarily through the Internet with a lot of the things that, that I write about and I'm interested in. And I also watch Fox News. So I am undoubtedly one of the members, persons who goes into that category of excessive Internet. And of course, what they're looking for is they're looking for Internet users that are conservatives. If you're a far-out leftist out there that you're on the Internet 12 hours a day, you're fine. If you're an Obama supporter and you're on the Internet 12 hours a day, you're fine. You're absolutely mentally healthy. By the way, if you're a conspiracy theorist, that's also considered mental illness. Now, there are some crazy conspiracy theories out there. I don't know that the people who believe in them are mentally ill. I don't agree with a lot of them. But the fact of the matter is that all these are subjective. All of these are subject to interpretation by a psychiatrist or by the government to decide that you're a conspiracy theorist if, like me, you believe that the President of the United States is trying to destroy this country. Do I believe that? Absolutely. Is there a conspiracy to help him do that? Absolutely. So again, they're coming to take me away, ha huh? Basically, at this point in time, anybody who disagrees with Obama, anybody who disagrees with the mainstream media, can be declared to be mentally ill and disarmed. That's the way they did it in Nazi Germany. That's the way they did it in the Soviet Union. That's the way they still do it in Cuba. That's the way they are now doing it in the United States. Go to USJF.net. 
donate to help us fight this. We're a small organization. I don't have a big administrative staff. We like to put our money where our mouth is. We like to spend our money on filing briefs in courts of appeal in the United States Supreme Court. You can read about those at usjf.net. And please visit my blog and encourage people to listen to this radio show. At uh, My blog is michaelconnelly.jigsy.com. Thank you for having me into your homes and offices today. I look forward to talking to you next week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.